Welcome back. It's Howl History. Derek Harper and Chad Cox here with you once again. It's been a while since we've done an episode. It seems to be a theme for us this year, Chad. Uh, we've dealt with some sickness, and, uh, but most of all, we dealt with some uh, wolves being bad and not worth talking about for a little while there. They went on a five-game losing streak immediately after we talked last time. And we, even in our last episode, we talked about how every time we record an episode, it changes the, changes the wolves' fortunes. Whether or not that's uh, schedule-related or we actually have a jinx power, I don't know. But we held off just to let the wolves ride the, sh- the ship themselves before we came back here and did it for them. So, Chad, it's good to see you. How are you feeling? Ah, pretty good. How about you? I'm not too bad. We had, uh, I think I definitely have a jinx yeah. factor. I mean, I for every sport. Like the Wild. I don't watch the Wild all the time. But I, it doesn't matter how many goals the Wild are up. If I turn the game on. Like, for example, there was a game there up 4-1. to one. So I flipped to it. I'm like, oh, sweet. I can watch them win a game then. And within 30 seconds, it was 4-3. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? They tie it up like a couple minutes later. It took a little while for that fourth goal. So the game was tied. So I turned it off. And... When I looked back after that, I knew the game would be over just to see what happened, the Wild ended up winning, but in a shootout. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I had missed it because I am sure they wouldn't, it would have, they would have lost some regulations. I would have kept it on there. And so, like, I, I mean, there was another one there up big. My brother was over here and I'm, and he wanted to watch it. So I flipped it on and I'm like, just, we're going to probably lose. And they scored two quick, two quick goals. We were still up one. He's like, turn off, turn off. <laughs> <laughs> Not like, for us. You. Yep. Yeah. So I think, and then to your other point, you mentioned like, we don't, we didn't talk because they were losing. The, I said, we talked, we just didn't record it. We, yeah. I'm like, we text, we get, in, we do more texting when they're losing. That's true. And more talking when they're winning. <laughs> yeah. Because the ends, the ends of the messages never have like complete thoughts in them. It's just like, ah, bleh. yeah. We're like, yeah. Annoyed with different things, and um, yeah, just kind of goes back and forth. But well, yeah. like I said, they lost five in a row. They lost to Washington, Brooklyn, Atlanta, Utah, and Cleveland, which are probably four, at least include four of the top seven offenses in the NBA right now. And uh, especially at a time when D'Lo missed three games to a sore ankle, and the team was kind of floundering. It was a it was a rough go, especially with the way the scores that they were losing by. They lost by eight to Washington, which was the game that we was on when we were recording. I think it was tied at seventy four when we uh, when we hung up the phone here, yeah. Chad. And then uh, all of a sudden they went on to lose by eight. Um, Brooklyn they lost by five, which was probably a legitimate game. You know, it was a close game yeah. all the way down to the end. But then losing by you know giving up one hundred and twenty one to Atlanta, giving up one hundred and thirty six to Utah, and one hundred and twenty three to Cleveland. Just three teams that could just hammer Minnesota inside was just not a not a good good recipe for success. And whether or not that was and because Atlanta they were missing took a D'Lo, a lot of threes that game too. Yeah. Like they, they just well, Atlanta a... and Utah both hit twenty five threes in the yeah, in those absolutely. games, which is the most which were tied for the most the Timberwolves have ever given up in a game. And to do it two games back to back, it was just a really rough trend there for the Wolves and, and their yeah. defense. I yeah, think I, I saw mean, earlier tonight that they were, for those five games, they were like the 28th best defense in the NBA. And then over the past two, which they've won against good Western Conference opponents, they've been the 12th best defense in the NBA again. So they've... Because uh, the defensive player of the year, D'Lo, yeah. was playing in those games. The league's <laughs> number one plus minus player, the league's, league's best clutch shooter, whatever you want to call it. The league's best lineup. I think John Schumann of NBA.com calls it the best, line, best lineup ever with uh, our starting lineup as long as... Uh, Bev and Vando and D'Lo and Ant and Cat are on the floor. They're, I think they're plus 49.7 points per 100 possessions, which is, I think I was, I was listening to 
Britain Dame this morning, and that lineup has the best offensive rating among five-man units units in the NBA and the best defensive rating among five-man units in the NBA. Which is crazy. I know. It's just something that I don't know how it's happening. I don't know how it's sustainable. It's But they found the right combination, and... I mean, as we're well, seeing tonight, it, it kind of fits. I mean, it's you know, it's weird because it's like you have three just juggernaut offensive players mm-hmm. in Cat, Ant, and D'Lo. Even though he's not scoring like those giant numbers that we're used to from D'Lo, but he's his assist numbers are up in the last you know, yeah, ten, twelve games that he's played or whatever. Um, and they should even be higher than they are. I mean, because he's hitting a lot of guys for open shots and they're just missing them a lot of times too. But so you got three. You know, juggernaut offensive players, and then two just stud defenders in Beverly and Vandal, and like that's kind of the mix I like. You know, I like having. You know, this is why I don't subscribe to the oh everybody on the court has to be a shooter because, you know, if you do that, then chances are none of them are defenders. Well, yeah, and that's uh, this position the Timberwolves have put themselves in, especially earlier in the season. They had to choose either defense or offense. Yeah, and, and they it, finally just, found a mix that worked. Yeah, they realize, hey, we don't need five mediocre shooters, you know, one good shooter and four mediocre shooters out there to make this offense work. We can get three scores out there and, ha- you know, and a lot of it is dependent on at least two of the big three having big nights. Right. Um, if not all three against tougher opponents. But um, I would take those odds that you're going to two or three, two of the three guys are going to have big games over like living and dying by, you know, Vanderbilt or McDaniels or Okogi or Prince or, you know, name any role player we have hitting corner threes all night because they're just not hitting them. So um, I'm, I'm cool with the way that Finch has figured out the starting lineup. The only thing I am a little bit nervous about is can Beverly start, Yeah, you know, and stay, stay healthy, healthy, right? The whole, but I guess that he's not any less durable than D'Lo or Cat. So, you know, at least in recent years. So, you know, hopefully uh, that he can kind of maintain his his health here. Like he's, I mean, he's missed a, a couple games here, but not, you know, he hasn't had any long outages for a Savari this year. Yeah, and the, the team was able to survive earlier when he went out at first. I mean, they had the win against Miami, you know, after he went out early in that game, they had the win against Philadelphia, so they were able to tread water. Um, so that was that was a blow to that starting lineup, but they were able to keep it going. But then once D'Lo went out, they just didn't have it left. I mean, they dealt with the flu, the the sickness issues, starting with the game that we attended against Indiana. They were missing a couple guys, but Indiana was missing Miles Turner as well, which was just a, a tough um, go for them. So... They ended up winning that game, at the, you know, down at the end. But then they didn't have all their guys back, and that you could clearly, clearly tell that even guys like Jared Vanderbilt wasn't playing well or wasn't feeling well against uh, Washington. So the interior defense really struggled, and uh, you know, so that kind of kicked it off. And like I said, they had a decent game against Brooklyn while D'Lo was still here. And then once he missed those three games, the uh, Atlanta, Utah, Cleveland stretch was just one of the worst stretches of the year. And I think you could even see it in their post game. Uh, interviews their moods or attitudes whatever it happened to be that they just they weren't feeling like themselves and usually when somebody's out when somebody's missing like D'Lo you know the team can kind of say well you know what we were missing D'Lo and we'll be okay once he comes back but oof, they didn't they seem to be in a rough spot after that those three games and that's kind of um, a problem right because D'Lo is not a guy that's going to play 82 games yeah um, and so if he misses, you know, he'll probably miss another handful of games at some point this year. And if they are 
if they go from being, you know, a, a just a barely above 500 team with Delo to not even sniffing mm-hmm. <laughs> a win without him, that's problematic. You know, I mean, it's it's weird how important Delo's become um, when, you know, I mean, he's the guy we always talk about, like, okay, well, if we had to give up one of the big three to get, you know, a Ben Simmons type, Delo would be the guy we had, we had prefer to give up. Yep. But I, at, this, at point, this point, yeah, can you even do that and survive? I, I don't know that you can. I don't know that Delo's even tradable at this point for because we need him so badly. And that's, um, I mean, that's half about Delo and half about what's behind him. I mean, that's it why is, that's it why is. his plus minus number is so good is because, I mean, with especially with Beverly in the starting lineup, the Wolves have nothing once Delo comes off the floor. Right. Balmero's not ready. McLaughlin is proving he can't defend. You know, a literal ant. You know, because of his size, and they don't really have. They don't trust Noel to really be on the floor yet so they don't have anybody to run the offense run that position when when Delo is not available and that really showed you know reared its ugly head while he was out yeah and yeah I don't know what's going on with McLaughlin and, and some of those guys but yeah I it, it is part of that I, I think I mentioned that in the last time we did talk that it's not all because of Delo's you know great play it's because the the drop off from Delo to the next guy is such a big drop off mm-hmm. but I think it is, you know, now since the last time we talked, I think there is more to it than just even that. I think I think the other guys on the team really look to Delo as, like, the leader on this team in terms yeah. of the off-court stuff and just, like, I mean, he does a really good job passing the compliments on to other guys. Like, he's a big proponent for Jalen Noel and for, you know, for guys like that. And so I think those guys will play hard for him all the time. So I, I just think he raises the level of other players. Like those guys that you talk about on the second unit without Delo, it's not just about whoever the point guard is not being able to run an offense. It's those other guys aren't playing above their levels. Yeah. Delo on the court, like, or like they do when Delo's on the court. So, I mean, he's got, I, I just think he's proven to be more valuable than we all sort of thought. He, I mean, clearly the Wolves thought he'd be this valuable, but like us as, fans kind of were like frustrated with D'Lo um particularly this season when you know it just his numbers are down he's got career lows in his shooting yet he's got career highs and it's plus minus like his importance to the team is is higher than it's been at any point in his career and yet what he does best is at the lowest of his career so it's, it's really bizarre it's also, I mean, I think everybody would say this is the best defense he's played. He's played his entire career as well, yeah, which sure. makes a big difference there. But he's bought into the system. I think, especially with that starting group, they've all bought into the system and they they fill those roles well. Everybody has a specific role on that defense, and you know, like, like Britt was saying, and once again, we have to mention if you don't listen to the Dane Moore NBA podcast, you should do that first because we listen to it they've got a great source especially when him and Britt uh, robson are on together so we don't want to steal any of their content so stop if you if you haven't listened to them listen to them and come back to us because uh give them all the credit but for these thoughts but you know Britt was saying that you know he was trying to rank the best defenders on the team and he put D'Lo ahead of Jaden. and you know the the comment that the where they eventually came around to was like he put him ahead a lot of guys because he had him as high well as he had him three. He hit him fourth, I think, but he said fourth. He goes maybe with the argument of even being third, so that puts him ahead of one of you know Vanderbilt, 
Well, I think I think he had a Kogi ahead of him, but then they had to admit that like a Kogi just doesn't play, so that's tough. I to, didn't hear. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe I missed part when he actually listed off the players, yeah. but I just heard him say Delo's the fourth best defender, arguably the third best, and Dane said, "I don't know if I agree with that." Yeah, but you know, so I'm like, okay, well, who are the guys he's got in the top three? I mean, because I would still argue that Cats this year in this defense is a better defender than Delo. It's weird because watching Delo, the eye test tells you his defense doesn't that much different than it's been in the past. Mm-hmm. But then collectively you look at like what happens when he's on the court and you look at the stats and it's proven to be better. I mean, he's, he's still like kind of poke checking the ball from yeah. behind and he kind of like kind of has this old lay defense, lets the guy go past him and then pokes it from behind. And that's not necessarily like the kind of defense that you associate with being not like, one-on-one. I mean, he still isn't a great one-on-one defender, no. which is you know kind of what I was saying between him and Jaden. Like if they were, if they swapped roles, if he had to guard the guys Jaden guards and Jaden was able to play the role that Delo is playing, Delo wouldn't be as good. Jaden would be an awesome free safety too, by the way, with how long he is. Because he would it, be, but the the role that or what Delo is able to do from back there with his communication and the fact that he probably watches as much film as anybody on the team. Right. He gets he, guys in the right spots. Yeah. He's not. He doesn't have the experience. Right. Nor the personality or leadership to like call out what the other teams are doing and all that kind of stuff that, that Delo's do. That's what I think, you know, Delo's defense is really how he's elevating the rest of the guys on the team's defense so that his numbers are elevated because of that as yep. well. Yeah. He's sort of orchestrating what other guys are doing um, in, in a way where it's, it's less about his individual defensive play and more of what he helps the, the what team. he allows everybody else to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we've been, like you said, his shooting still isn't great. He's shooting 39% from the floor and 33% from three. So we'd all love for those numbers to go up, especially, you know, game over game splits. If he can start, you know, becoming the deal of old, if he can drop a 50 piece on somebody, you know, which he's fully capable of doing, especially on a, if we ever run into a bad defensive team, but um, that would bump all those numbers up. I think I saw, we'll get to Ant in a minute, but with his uh, 10 three point game the other night, I think it bumped his three point shooting up. 22 points on the season wow. from that one game um he went from like three he went from like 338 to 360 on you know or on the season so you can do it we're still early enough that if Delo has a couple big games or a good stretch you know he can make a, a decent dent in that shooting numbers but like you said if those get back to normal if they you know revert to the mean or whatever happens to be he's going to make an even bigger difference because they're, they're going to need to rely on his offense eventually, you know, and not just for a quarter at a time when the rest of the team can't make a shot. And that's to me, you know, the, the other positive side of that is that a, I think that his scoring is more likely to return to what it was previously at this point. And now I think we have a large enough sample size that his defense is kind of what it is now. This is, you know, in this system, this is who he is as a defender and it's a positive for the team. And then B, I think that what is positive about it is that he's not – the fact that Delo's not having a good shooting night, he's not doing the ant where he's going out there and saying, well, I got to figure it out. I got to shoot through this mm-hmm. and taking you know, 15 ill-advised shots. He's he's cool with scoring 16. He's not going to hang his head. You know, Ant still got that immaturity about him where if he scores 16, he's pretty down. Yeah. Like he, it doesn't really matter if they win. I mean, I'm not saying that Ant cares about his numbers over winning. I don't, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is he he cares about winning, but he wants to sh- put on a show while he's doing it. And 
So Ant sometimes, like, you know, they'll have a nice run going, and Ant will shoot us right out of that run because he'll just be like, okay, I everybody else is, is feasting right now. We're up 12. It's time for me to to get mine. Yeah. And all of a sudden, here we, you know, three missed threes in a row, and all of a sudden the other team's down three. You know, and, and that happens just as often as those nights, or probably more often than those nights like Ant had the other night where he, where he hit 10 threes. You know, so D'Lo, that was what D'Lo used to do. And he's grown out of that. Like he's kind of figured out like, look, the way I'm going to earn my next big contract with this team Mm -hmm. is making everybody else around me better and being that leader that can kind of communicate the defense, all that stuff. And so that's something I didn't anticipate seeing this season. Right. Uh, And it's, it's probably the most positive thing. If I had to rank that, the, you know, all the positive things that we've seen from this team this year, that's probably number one on the list because it was such a crucial thing to have happen for your second highest paid player on this team to him, for him to prove his worth. Because now, like remember last year, people were still debating is who's worth more Wiggins or D'Lo did, mm-hmm. you know, giving up those firsts did that, you know, was that way too much because like, they're not really that different. Well, I think this version of D'Lo is significantly more valuable than any version we've ever had of Wiggins. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as you said, he needs to prove that he can make his his teammates better, that he can help the team win in order to get his next big contract, and that's going to be, you know, significant for him. I think if we bring it back to Ant a little bit, I don't know if it's so much that like he wants to put in a show or he wants to get his. I think it's more, I you know, I think we both trust him to be doing what he thinks is best for the team. Like neither of us see him as a as a, a selfish player. I just don't know if he has gotten to the point where he he's well-rounded enough to kind of say like I can help the team in other ways and I know what those ways are rather than yeah I don't I agree I mean I agree and I disagree like I I agree I don't think he's selfish it's a weird thing with him I don't think he's selfish but I also don't think I don't trust him to to do what I I don't trust him to to know what is best for the team either at this point because I do think he kills runs for us. He still kills runs for us. He's getting better. At, he's gotten better over um, certainly these last two games and, you know, maybe, you know, a couple games before that. But during that losing stretch, that was big parts of it. We would have leads, 10-point leads, 8-point leads. And then he looks up and realizes, okay, it's the third quarter and I have 10 points. Mm-hmm. I, I have to I have to make an impact. And I don't think it's necessarily out of a selfishness. I think it's more out of a expectation factor. He expects... You know, you hear like he was just joking the other night at him and Cat that back and forth about right. Ant thinking he's I'm the, the best, best walker, yeah. runner, yeah. everything. And I that's anything not, with the word player after it, I'm yeah. the best at. Yeah, that's not show. That really yeah. is how he thinks. He, I I truly believe he thinks he's the best at everything, and and basketball being the top on that list. And so I think he looks up and sees I only have ten points. I'm the best player on this court right now. Mm-hmm. I need to go get those. I think he is so confident. He's like Brett Favre. As a quarterback, <laughs> he's a gunslinger. You're gonna he's, make me hate him. <laughs> he's gonna go out there and be like, "Okay, I'm gonna. I need to. I'm. I, yeah, I might miss my next six shots. Yeah, but I'm probably gonna hit the twelve after that. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. We're we're up eight. By the time you know after my six shots, we're gonna be down four. But I'm gonna get right back into it. Once I heat up, it's over for them. You know, I really think that's what yeah. is going through his head. So he's not doing it from a a selfish mindset. He's doing it from a overconfident mindset if that makes sense like right. like towns far and away the superior offensive player to anybody on this team yep. in the history of this team by the way 
he doesn't have that gene that Ant has, right? Cat is the reverse. If Cat misses a couple shots, his game kind of crumbles within itself because he He stops shooting. Yeah. He stops shooting and he gets, picks up crappy falls and things like that because he's not the guy that's going to be like, yeah, I know my, yeah, I I just missed four in a row, but I know my next five are going in. That's not how Cat's mentality works. You know, Cat's like, oh boy. I mean, Cat's got a much bigger spotlight on him in the sense Mm -hmm. of people, you know, criticizing his game and stuff like that. You know, I I think Ant's playing with house money right now. Ant was the number one pick and all that, but which Wiggins was in year two, which Cat was in year two, absolutely. Yep. Yep. But the difference, Wiggins was the consensus number one pick. Mm -hmm. Cat was the consensus number one pick. Ant was the consensus. Oh, you blew it. You should have took Lamelo pick. (laughs) You know, and so Ant is. Playing with house money, even even being the number one pick, because the whole nation thinks that Lamelo should have been yeah. the, the top pick. So I think from that standpoint, the expectation is so low. Like just just now, we're just hitting this period where nationally people are starting to realize, wow, this this guy's really really good. And so um, I just think you know I'm not mad at anything Ant does, only for this fact of like he's learning still the guy is so young you know we were texting or not what the one shot i hate of his is when he dribbles in place right through the legs behind the legs all the stuff and then shoots a three he fools no one with that like a high schooler could defend that shot it's the worst because you don't even have to put a hand up he's gonna miss it he could do that wide open he's gonna miss it every other three he took the other night, he missed one the only one he missed was the one he did that. Right. And the rest of them, he was catch and shoot or he it was an early, It was an early one, too. It was an early one. Yeah. It was like second or third one. Yeah. And he, the other ones, he would dribble in place, but then step back and hit. You know, he would make a move with his feet instead of just dribbling in place. And if he just dribbles in place, that shot's not going in. I, I have zero percent faith that that shot's going in. I hate that shot for him. If he makes a move or if he catches it on the on the dribble, totally fine with him taking every one of those shots because he's really good at those. It's just that. You know, he's it's just, and that's a high school, college sort of thing to do. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna dazzle him with my dribble because yeah, high school college defenders they get caught up in that and they, they might fall asleep and not you know rise up and get a hand in the face whatever. NBA, I mean, frankly, those guys don't even care. Like Britt pointed out last week on one episode, like I don't know if he ever looked up to see if it, verify if it's true, but he he said he had looked up enough to feel like it was that. At the NBA level, when it got, people put the hand in the face of the shooter, that is less that the shooter is more likely to make that shot than than if they did nothing. I remember at all. Yeah, here and yeah. yeah, I think uh, I which, saw. So I was telling Chad before the episode that I had a whole page of notes that I had put together. Uh, unfortunately, I did it in a notepad on my PC uh, and it didn't uh, save that anywhere. So my computer restarted overnight and I lost it. And I wasn't going to go through the uh, the hour and a half of work to get it all back. So we're doing all this off the top of our head, but I do believe I saw a tweet by somebody saying that uh, Ant is in the top twenty in the NBA in catch and shoot three point percentage. And I believe that. I mean, he's good at that. Yeah. So it's you know, just I, I was telling a guy yeah. last night who's from Dallas, who's a giant Mavericks fan and a giant Luca fan, who early in the season was telling me how Lamelo was better than Ant. Now he's telling me, you know, I think you might be right. I think Ant's better. He goes. I th- he said. I think he will be better. I'm like, he's, there is no will be. Mm-hmm. He's already better than Lamelo. And I, I, you, you've known me for ten yeah. plus years. I love the guys that do everything more than I like the big scores. However, if you can get a big score 
that can score from all over like Ant can and has the charisma and the, the percent and he's the best in-game dunker in the NBA. Right. And by the way, he just hit 10 threes the other night, the, the youngest to ever do it by two years. Yep. Like, I, you know, I don't know what else you can ask for, for from a guy, you know, at, at, at that age, you know. So um, he's as, as good as it gets. I mean, at this point, we got to start talking about was last year's draft class better than the Jaw Zion draft class? Once you get past, yeah. yeah. I, I think, you know, maybe we do an episode on that compared to the last three drafts. But I've already had like three episode ideas since we started talking. We need to, <laughs> we need to compare uh, current Timberwolves players to NFL players, either past or present. Um, because I, another comparison I had come up with, and this is kind of reverse, but I saw a tweet a while ago saying, you know, talking about Kirk Cousins and the stats that he's going to actually end his career with and where he's going to be at in the all-time lists. And, I mean, he's putting up 4,000 yards every single season. He's got a good touchdown to interception ratio every year. He's going to be, like, top five in yards when he ends up retiring. And I was like, oh, Kirk Cousins is a Carmelo Anthony of the NFL. You know, it sounds like... I think Carmelo's liked better. I mean, it's... You know, not to get on tangent, but Kirk Cousins, that thing, that's another one that I don't understand. I mean, like, the fact that Vikings fans blame him for these losses that the defense is like Mike Zimmer should not be coaching at any level of football. Right. He's, I, and I've said it since the Minneapolis miracle that he shouldn't be coaching football because that defense got throttled in that game. Our offense had to bail us out in that game with Keith Keenum. We've had six different offensive coordinators, four different quarterbacks, and the offenses look the same <laughs> every single time. That's on Mike Zimmer. It's not on yeah. Keith Keenum, Sam Bradford, Teddy Bridgewater, Kirk Cousins. It's not on Stefanski or, you know, Shermer or any of these guys. It's, Mike Zimmer is the problem. The guy needs to get out of town, you know. But I, I like to me, Kirk Cousins. I was actually thinking you were going to compare him to Carl Anthony Towns because Towns is kind of like becoming this guy that everybody in town doesn't like. Like, sure, you were at the Bulls game with me at Indiana, and, and that loudmouth wasn't there. Um, but that guy isn't the only one, but he's the loudest one, just booing every time Towns gets the ball and whines about everything Towns does. He hates it when he shoots threes. I mean, this is a guy who just knows jack crap about basketball because he's the best three-point shooter on the team by, you know, three country miles. Right. But the the point being is I think Cat annoys people with the complaining, the, the you know, tantrums of throwing his arms and you're trying to get the fall and that kind of stuff. And that stuff annoys me too. But just look at what he does. Like, he's a generational talent on the offense end of the floor. I mean, he just – he just is. And I'm not saying Cousins isn't as talented as Towns at his sport, but Kirk Cousins is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL yep. every year. And like the Vikings think they can do better. You're not going to do, we've not, like, Hey, we haven't had a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins in my lifetime. And I'm 44. <laughs> like we just haven't like we had far for one year. Yeah. We had, you know, Randall Cunningham for one year. You think really Cousins' good. run with Minnesota has been more successful than Dante Culpepper's run with Minnesota? Yes. Overall, yes. Dante had one amazing year. Yeah. Better than anything Cousins had. And then one or two other pretty good years. And then a couple of really bad years. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I would say as a run, yes. And, and similarly with Favre. Favre had one really good year, one really bad year. Yep. Cunningham, one really good year, one really bad year. Well, did, how, how long did it even make it into his second year? It was only a couple of games, wasn't it? Before they, was Jeff like, George was all of a sudden the starter. Yeah, I think it was like eight or something. I bet. Yeah. yeah. He, but it, that wasn't because of injury. It was because of poor yeah. play, right? Um, And then Warren Moon probably had the best consistent numbers right. Um, every year, but we weren't 
we were underachieving. We weren't winning, but whatever. It's not a Vikings podcast. No, but it's not. But like I said, I would like to do a NFL NBA crossover where we can where we find the equivalents. Um, and then I was even thinking earlier today about Carl because the heyday of of centers. You know, we look back to the '90s. You know, everybody loves the '90s centers and and what they had. Um, and I think we're we're coming back. We're getting closer to that. And you know, you've been talking about the how the big men have been gaining even more importance. You know, with every single year. Um, so I was like, okay, if we were to find the equivalent of today's centers against 90s centers, I was like, where is Carl? You know, so I was, I was thinking, you know, okay, if Jokic, you know, I'd probably say he's closer to Olajuwon. It's not the same. I mean, their their games are different, but in terms of their their skill, you know, they're the most skilled center, you know, in the NBA. And then I was like, okay, Embiid, you're either going to put him with Shaq, or if you want to go a little bit earlier, you're going to put him with David Robinson because of just the athleticism. And, and the I size. was going to say, I would say. Jokic was more Robinson. You think so? Yeah, and I would say Embiid's more Elijah one. Um, I don't think we have a Shaq. I think we could put Shaq aside because Shaq. Yeah. I mean, Shaq's tough because I mean he was he came in in '92. He was you know he was big by '95. You know, so, yeah. so it's like but nobody played that him? style yeah. now. Like I, if we still played the same ways in the '90s, yeah, Julio Okafor might be a Shaq. <laughs> sure, but Julio Okafor can't play now because. It's not that style of yeah. offense. Like it's I'm, not like Julio Okafor is a bad player yeah. all of a sudden. It's the game changed around him, you know. And um, so I, I would put Shaq aside because I think I don't think Shaq would be as effective today either. No, I honestly. mean the only comparison I had really, you know, the biggest comparison I had with Embiid and Shaq was that they are the two. The, Embiid is the one that you look at now where you say his physical size is just so overwhelming. It like, is, but, but Embiid, so, but Robinson's a big guy. He's you not. Know, he's not tall. He's not the. He's the like Shaq. seven three, dude. I like, don't think so. Yeah, I'll look it up here. Right. Well, we're talking, but because um, I mean, he and Shaq would go at it. Let's see, seven one, um, according to Wikipedia. So he's he's big, man. And so um, I, that's why I would compare a B to him. And, and they're and talk about skilled. Robinson was super skilled. Was good on defense. Good on offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, or sorry, Jokic is who I was comparing yeah. to. To him, um, and then B that compared to Elijah one just because of the two way defense offense. Um, you know, Rudy Gobert, he that's the Kemba Matumbo. Um, yeah, so I was so I was thinking, I was like, I hate I hate it so much, but Carl's probably Patrick Ewing. Yeah, that's not a bad one. I mean, it's just like I I mean I grew up hating Patrick Ewing, probably my least favorite player in the NBA. I mean, aside from... I, I love Ewing. Oh, he was just the worst. I was like, Actually, even I as... Playing against the Bulls and... <laughs> yeah. Even as a 10-year-old, like... I'd sit there watching Ewing and I'd be like, every time, like, if he goes left, he's going to pump fake. If he goes left, he's going to pump fake. And you do it every single time. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, this guy. Well, I was but... watching uh, Charles Barkley on Kevin Durant's podcast. Yeah. And Barkley was talking about how <laughs> once he got old, he had a pump fake. Because, because yeah, once I lost my and as I had a pump fake, he was, there's highlights of me. You'll see I'll pump fake like five times before I take the shot. Right. Because, and that's that's why I think Ewing, Ewing's knees were shot. Oh, absolutely, know, yeah. Yeah, and I mean Ewing took a lot of wear and tear because like, he had a very, a very similar to Towns, a very low talent, um, you know, roster around him for a while. Yeah, and, I mean, like that his best teams, you know, when it's you have a bunch of like Charles Oakley. I mean, that's Vando. I mean, like, his his best teams were shaped a lot like Allen Iverson Sixers teams were, where yep. it was him and a bunch of defensive guys. Yep. And and Ewing was pretty good on defense, so it was kind of a weird thing yeah. to surround him with. Like you could, I remember as a kid, I loved Reggie Miller. Yep. And 
And I like Patrick Ewing. I was like, oh, how cool would it be if, like, with Reggie and the Knicks, their rivalry, like, Reggie gets traded to New York and becomes, like, the favorite guy there. Uh-huh. And him and Ewing would be unstoppable. You know, you have a center that good with a, a shooter. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Ewing's a good one. I mean, obviously their games are very different because of the era. Towns is the best shooting big man we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And... You know, like you can't compare him to Sam Perkins, who was the best shooting big man at that point. No, because he because wasn't Sam- u- utilized in a way that actually made him valuable to the league. Right, right, right. So, yeah, I mean, so I, yeah, I like that comparison. I, yeah, that's the only ones I'd flip flop would be the uh, Jokic and, and uh, yeah. Robinson, and and then Shaq would leave out just because right. Shaq's, Shaq's like one of those. It's he's, like more, he's more of a two thousand center than a ninety center too. Yeah, that's true too. I mean, even Mentumble kind of is too. Morning, Alonzo Morning. Yep. Uh, we didn't really have one for which Embiid wouldn't even be a bad one for him, you know. Because so the other one I was because well, Morning said, was a guy who was shorter. He was like six ten. Right, he yeah. was definitely shorter. Yeah, but so was Towns. That's why I was. Yep. Um, and Towns just tied, um, or just was he the only guy maybe ahead of him at center was to score ten thousand points Faster. this early was Elijah one. Okay. So that was the closest. Like, so that's where I thought you were going. To. Obviously, Towns isn't the defender that Elijah one is, but right. uh, or was, but I me. Mean, but Towns is he's been better this year. Yeah, no, he's been one of the team's best defensive players. I mean, especially with the new scheme that they're playing. I've loved. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you have too. The way that he's played these last two games, he looks and now the last two and a half games, especially this game against LA tonight too. He's looked more in control of his emotions and the the game itself than I've ever seen before. He's taking what the defense is giving him. He's not overreacting. He's not panicking. He's not. I haven't seen many of the ridiculous sidearm fling passes to, you know, try to make a fancy move to get somebody open. He's just playing the game at a speed that seems like it was never going to get to him. Yeah, I. I mean. I think he's done a good job with his emotions since like the third or fourth game when yeah. uh, Finch sat him down. Like he complains a lot less ever since that. Yep. But I agree with everything else. Like I, you know, he is playing more within himself. He's he's kind of taken. Ant gave him the advice a couple couple games ago where he said nobody can guard you. Mm-hmm. Don't wait. You catch the ball if there's a little guy on you, go blow past him or you know power him down. If you know, otherwise pass the ball, you know. But don't wait for the double team. Like that. That's silly there's not one person in the league that can guard you one-on-one and i really think cat took that to heart he's like you know what somebody yeah. finally sees it you know i think cat is a little bit of that um you know woe is me thing where he thinks you know he's the, he knows how good he is and he feels like he's being um you know uh, there's a changed yeah service going on yeah that right. he's not getting the recognition he deserves and so he he started like with Jokic. i mean he took it to Jokic right from the opening tip-off. I mean, he just was attacking him. He was very aggressive. Jokic still had a good game, but it, you know. Yeah, the, the I think Towns was like seven for eight from the floor from yeah. when Jokic we, was guarding him. And we thumped them, you know. And, yep. and, you know, so it's like that was good. So far tonight, I mean, he was just destroying Anthony Davis until Anthony Davis went down and now Davis is out. But he was just killing him. Um, and then he's been killing LeBron, who's been guarding him since. So <laughs> it's... It's fun to see because I, I mean, that is the cat we want to see is the yeah. guy that's just like the dominant force on offense, and you know, the good enough on defense the way he's been this year, um, to make him put him back into that top top three center category. Like, who's the best between him and Bede and Jokic? I mean, I, I still think he's better than um, Gobert just overall, 
Um, you know, but you know, there, there was an argument to be made that, you know, Gobert was, was there too. So, um, I mean, I think the, with the way that the last year and a half have, have gone for towns with the injuries that he's faced, the time he's missed, the losing the team has gone through. I think anybody in Minnesota would be perfectly happy if we could even get back to the end of the 2018, 19 season where towns, where it was between towns and Gobert for third team, all NBA. Like if it, if it could just be that, if it could say there's a top four, Towns is one of those guys, and some people are going to vote for Towns, some people are going to vote for Gobert, you know, and it's just your preference. I think we'd be perfectly happy with that. I think it's where we get ridiculous, you know, where we get insulted because we watch him every night and the rest of the national, you know, NBA crowd doesn't, is when people start being like, well, you know, he's right there with the, uh, um, who's the guy in Indiana? Um, the Sabonis? Or Sabonis, Turner. or I mean... Or the, God, I'm, Vucevic, you know, oh. or say, saying that the, he's a similar center, center at that level, the Sabonis yeah. of Vucevic and even Bam. It's like, or Valanciunas. Or Valanciunas. It's like, he's not, he's not that second yeah. tier of center. He's in the first tier and uh, maybe, I, maybe first tier is wrong because Jokic is, is the first tier right now, I think. Yeah. You know, what's crazy though is where. I, and I agree. I mean, Towns is definitely a notch below Jokic and Embiid. Mm-hmm. Jokic is number one. Yep. Clear cut for me. Embiid's number two. Clear yep. cut. Three is the the argument that I think people can make. But I will say this about Towns. The ceiling on him is as high as Jokic, if not higher, because he's a he's a he's such a better shooter than him. And the things – I mean, Jokic is such an elite passer. Mm-hmm. I don't think Towns can ever reach his level of, nope. of passing. But Towns can be the second best passer – as a big man in the league, he has the talent to do that. And he's, he's, you know, Jokic will never be the shooter cat is. And then defensively, I think they can be similar. So I think they can even out where it's like, okay, towns can the, definitely get closer to Jokic's yeah, level. Where he can get yeah. to the level where it's an argument of who's better between Jokic and, mm-hmm. and towns with Embiid. It's a clear cut three, <laughs> you know, I, cause that's, you know, right now Embiid's so he's probably the best of the three on defense, Yep. but you can't rely on him on offense. In a game, you know, like he can, if he can't back a guy down and, you know, he can get into fall trouble easily. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, like listening to Doc Rivers whine about the team playing against them the other night, not getting any falls in the fourth quarter. It's like, oh, really? That, does that bother you? Because that's exactly what happened when we played. Yeah, we still won. Yeah. Um, Doc Rivers has lost so much respect for him over uh, the last year and a half. He's just not a good coach, which is uh. just, it's crazy how things have changed since 2008 when they won that championship in, in Boston. And you know, the, rep- the best the, defensive player in the history of the NBA. And right. The team. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when it's just yeah. like his reputation, the way that it, you know, it's changed in LA and then now in Philadelphia is just anybody who's still looking at him as a top tier coach, who's going to lift up a team is just fooling themselves. Cause he just does. He's never shown it without no, the exact no. right pieces around him. What's funny is he, he was on the verge of getting booted there in Boston too, before yeah. they got KG. And then, you know, and then, I mean, yeah, it's just whatever he's his own thing. But yeah, I, I mean, so I, I agree that, you know, like, w- like we were just saying that Towns is right now in the argument for the third best, but he has that, he, he's the only, he's probably got the highest ceiling out of the, the guys above him too. Mm-hmm. I really think that he's talented enough because I think he's, frankly, I think he's got the talent to be in a, a top. 10 defender in the league too i mean i i just think he does like he i mean he just used i don't know if you saw it while we were talking but he had that you know he put that shot up over lebron comes back down blocks lebron's shot yeah 
you know, on the, on the next play. I mean, Cat can do that kind of stuff. I mean, he was frustrating the hell out of Jokic, by the way, the other yeah, night. he was. You know, Jokic had a good game, good stats, but Jokic was getting super frustrated, and that's not Jokic-like. No, Jokic, he had to that, work. Yeah. Yeah, and his whole, his biggest strength is how cool and calm he always stays. Like, he never gets flustered. He's It's like he's playing chess. And well, playing his emotions are his kryptonite because 90% of the game, he is cool and calm and he's thinking three steps ahead and then things don't go his way. And that's it's when that, that's more officials. It. Yeah. Yeah. That's more of the officials. Like he doesn't usually get frustrated at other players yeah. unless he gets shoved from behind by a Morris <laughs> brother. But other than that, it's not like cat where cats like super flustered by the, you know, it is like the officials, like no calls and stuff, but it's also the players kind of get in. Yeah. You know, cat like getting physical with them that kind of flusters and stuff. You could bully, try to bully Jokic, and you're not gonna mm-hmm. like get inside his head. It's tough um, when, you, when a guy's that big, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got a lot of advantages over Cat from that standpoint. He's been playing with grown men at a much younger age, yep. you know, that kind of stuff as well. But uh, yeah, I just you know, it's it's uh, it, I just the defense he's played on these big guys. Like the defense so far tonight against. Anthony Davis before Davis went out the defense against LeBron he guarded Carmelo who's you know not exactly the hardest guy to yeah. defend anymore for him um but you know LeBron's still a tough cover and Davis is a tough cover so I mean so far it, tonight especially after Davis went out the only the biggest advantage the Timberwolves have on both ends of the floor is Carl's size and you yeah. can see it out there and the fact that they aren't going to it every single possession is is one of those things where it's like oh come on just give him the ball you know but i know that an offense doesn't function that way just feeding yeah. the same not player over and over again but yeah the 90 that's what you know that's right. how they did it yeah you know so i think that's where a lot of people get frustrated with cat too locally is that they think of big men in the traditional sense like oh well we need he need, you know that's kind of what that that loudmouth behind me at the games is always yelling he's like mm-hmm. carl we want you down in the post Back him down, back him. It's like that's not his game, yeah. you know. Like, um, watch a that, different you know. show besides TNT. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, tell me a center that does that anymore, anywhere. I mean, even Embiid with his yeah. strength and stuff, like he's, you know, he will do that, but it's not like that's where they're operating from every time. You know, yeah. it's like it's just the games change so much. So, um, I think if you know, if people who are casual basketball fans, you know, big Timberwolves fans, but casual basketball fans, so they're really only watching the Wolves, they maybe have missed that part of the league changing that, you know, the centers aren't like your centers from, like Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, Shaquille O'Neal, Kim Olajuwon, all those. It's not mm-hmm. that style anymore, you know, so. I mean, and if they are, if they're a center that can't leave the lane and they're na- not named Rudy Gobert, you don't have to pay him more than $10 million a year because they're a dime a dozen. Right, they're marginalized. Yep. So, like a Valanciunas, I mean, he's a he's an effective player in the paint, but because of that limitation, that's because that's all he can really do with his game. He's been he's been moved around to multiple different teams already. You know, mm-hmm. we both got just just got scared by my sleeping dog knocking a bone off his bed. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it's just funny to you know to look at Carl, especially in the historical context, on you know. I, I like to do that a lot where it's like, you know what, we we look at everything so in the moment, you know, what would how do we compare it to, you know, the past and how do we take a look at where they'd be, you know, in that context and you know, so that you can actually say like, well, okay, when those their careers were over, this is how I viewed them. So it gives you a little bit of a different uh viewpoint on it. But uh I don't know. We've talked a lot about the good things that are happening with the Timberwolves. I know we've kind of you know, fo- you know, 
given one or two points for each of the big three about things they could do better or ways they could improve. But I don't know. I feel like we're kind of hush, you know, brushing over the five game losing streak a little bit too much. And the fact that this team is still so up and down, they're still under 500. And this is a huge stretch for them. They're play, playing the Lakers tonight. They just played Portland and Denver who are right there in the play in race with them. They got Dallas two games in a row, both of which might be without Luca. At least one will be uh, the, the home game coming up uh, on the 19th. Um, so this is one of, I mean, we keep saying it, but this is another one of the most important stretches of the year because all these teams are between, you know, six and 11, the teams right ahead and right behind are the, Tim- the Timberwolves right now. Um, and the play is maddeningly, maddeningly inconsistent at this point. We can see a really, really good team. We can see the, the makings of a really, really good team. And then one little thing goes, goes against them or one guy has to set out with injury. And if it's the wrong guy, everything falls apart. And it, do you think that's the depth of the team, the fact that they just haven't been put together in a way that allows them to deal with those injuries? Or do you think it's still something that they need to work on mentally? You know, what what have you seen in, in a way that has shown up for this team in the, in, in the moments where they haven't been at their best? Well, so I think in the five-game losing streak and even other games we lost before that, I think, you know, not having D'Lo has been huge because of all the reasons we talked about when we talked about D'Lo. But I also think, and this is where I don't want to get too overconfident with just these last two wins and, you know, the play so far tonight. Of course, Davis is back and you know, not really that hurt. Um, surprise, <laughs> surprise. But um, what I mean by that is that the team is so dependent on the three ball falling. And if the three ball's not falling and the other teams is even falling at, you know, an average pace for them the Wolves can't keep up mm-hmm. because they, they're they just going to keep shooting the threes. And so that I just, so I, I guess what I'm saying is the system still worries me because I don't think we have the right personnel for the system. And I don't, I hate this, you know, you, this is part of what you and I were texting back and forth about during the five game losing streak. I just don't understand the logic of like insisting that all five guys are just spread around the arc and you're just basically trying to, you know, one guy might make attack the basket, but then kick out, to a corner right. three-point shooter. It's just, look, when the Warriors won 72 games, they had two elite shooters. Mm-hmm. Like, we we can do this with three, right. Ant, D'Lo, and Cat. We don't need the, the, our power forward to be a three-point shooter and the other guard to be a three-point shooter or the other forward to be a three-point shooter. We just, like, you don't have to space out that way. You can use the guys, you can use a little bit more of a mid-range game. I, I just wish that we weren't, doing this copycat thing where, and it's not just the Wolves. Every team in the league is, for the most part, doing the same thing, where they're just trying to copy the the teams that happen to to have the, the right personnel to do these kinds of offenses. Um, like Atlanta, for example, when they just outshot us. It's like, yeah, they have a bunch of, like, three-point shooters on that team mm-hmm. with some bigs on top. Of, you know, like, we don't have the bigs and we don't have the, the shooters. So I, I just think we we're trying to cram a square peg into a round hole. And I, and that becomes even more obvious when Delo's not on the floor because he's one of your three better shooters. So then you're down to cat and ant and an ant so often. I mean, we're talking about ant being a good three point shooter when he's at 36% with his improved night the other night. So, right. I mean, same with Delo at 33% so far right. this season. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, Beasley coming off the bench is in the low thirties too. So you're not, I just, I just don't think that's sustainable with these guys. So like you're either, 
I think it's, you know, what I'm saying is it's both, right? Like you're dependent on those big three because you're depending on them to hit the threes and you're dependent on the system of out shooting your opponents from the arc mm-hmm. in order to win games. And there's, I mean, I, you know, you, we could probably name 20 teams in the NBA that have more good shooters on their roster than we do. So that's a problematic system if you're, you know, if, if that's what you're planning to compete at. So, so that's where I'm pessimist, a uh, pessimist about the, you know, the outlook of the rest of the, the season is I just think like that's going to be really hard to stay around 500 the rest of the year if you're, you know, or to get up, certainly to get above it. If you, if you can't, I mean, you're, you're basically looking for two of your big three to, to go perfect mm-hmm. night in and night out. And, and that's just, that's kind of a lot to ask. I mean, no, no two star. I mean, it's, it's rare, I guess. I mean, Jokic is kind of doing it right now. Right. And he's the only one. That's yeah. the reason why they're at where they're at because they've lost MPJ and they've lost and Murray hasn't played yet this year. So they're in a spot and they still have Aaron Gordon, who still probably would be, if he was on our team, he'd probably be at the deal spot, you know, in terms of talent, but they're, that's the biggest reason why they're hanging around where the wolves are in the standings is because Jokic just having to do it on his own. And he's been basically perfect night in and night out. Um, and to me, that's the only way the wolves can maintain this level you know, maintain these kind of wins is if if Cat's perfect every night and either Ant or D'Lo is perfect, one of them has to also be perfect each night in order for the Wolves to compete. Yep. So, you know, I, I think I look at it too, and I, I think the system, I think the system is imperfect, but I think that's because the system is largely so new that it's inflexible. And I think if I take a look at this team, like there, there are going to be certain types of teams that they are going to be a very bad matchup against. And that is because they have not been in their system long enough to have had the ability to perfect it so they can start putting, adding fluctuations to that system. They only know one way to play on offense and they only know one way to play on defense. And those ways are going to be very successful against teams not, that they fit against. Like teams that they fit against. And I, as, it's probably more than half of the teams in the NBA. So that's going to give them a very, you know, a chance to win against even teams that you would expect them to not have a really great chance. Like they're going to look better against the Suns than they are against a team that's lower in the standings than the Suns, just because the Cavaliers, uh, yeah, for example. Right. So I think they have, like, they are as much as it pains us to say with how long some of these guys have even been on the team now, you know, it's like, yeah, they haven't played a ton of games together, but Devo has been here for almost two years now. And Ant's been this Ant's in his second year. And, you know, we didn't do any roster turnover this last year, except for, you know, the Rubio and. We did get a new coaching staff. That's less than a year old. Right. So, but that's the thing. Like they keep switching coaches to the point that this, the whole system on both offense and defense are either, were either implemented before this, this season, or they've been implemented as the season has gone on as they've tried to figure out what works best for this unit so i think they've got a good system and i think it's the best basis and the best start that we've had in a long time for a winning basketball team and if you know that you know that they're going to be able to come out and they're going to compete against most teams and they're going to be some that are just going to kick their butts it's a good place to start i think the next step is going to have to be to have some consistency in the roster to the point that they can start adding wrinkles and fluctuations onto those so that they can switch, you know, at the drop of a dime and, and 
confuse defense or confuse defenses or confuse offenses with the different you know looks that they're giving them that's what you know that's what you see out of golden state right now and the intelligence out of steph and and draymond and how long they've been together like those two can switch between two different defensive sets in you know half a second with an eye wink you know and the defense isn't going to know what's coming and they can have five different defensive sets in the same game where the wolves have one they've got one way to play defense you know and if you bring in the wrong type of team against them that's going to be just kind of a death knell and you can kind of even predict it ahead of time which I think is kind of the biggest frustration people have had with D'Lo this year is that he's looked at the roster and predicted which games they're not going to have a chance in and set out those games <laughs> so um, well it shows you his IQ I mean right yeah he knows I, mean, I, I don't yeah I don't disagree with anything you said I think I think the difference you know part of the one of the disagreements we had during the five-game losing streak was specifically around Jaden McDaniels about giving up on him because he's not a corner shooter and that's where I think that kind of thinking I don't like only because you're giving up a talent to you're gonna you're gonna get back uh, a subpar player mm-hmm. or at least with a subpar ceiling to Jaden and for what I mean you're gonna get a you know you're not even gonna get a Torian Prince because the salaries don't match up but you're gonna get a guy like that who it's like well is that really better for the team long term I I would disagree for one Jaden's shot hasn't been going down but his shot looks good. Like he doesn't have a Vando style shot. Like you look at a shot and you're like, yeah, I, it's it's in and out every time. It's it's you know it's rimming every time. It's not like he's airballing, you know, one out of every three shots and just you know missing horribly in the other ones. But so he, I think his jumper is will come eventually. Mm-hmm. It's just like Beasley is in a slump shooting. At, you know, like at the worst he's ever shot in his career. Um, D'Lo as well. So I I think his shot will come along, but he's not going to be a pj tucker in the corner or a robert ory in the corner it's just not his game so you're and you're not going to get one of those guys for him so i just don't get trading somebody like him i mean i you know like if we're talking about ben simmons sure but you're also giving up other pieces so i think that has to be a conversation of like well what is the total package you're willing to give up for a ben simmons and what does that really he's also not a shooter so if you're still playing the system does that really make the team any better you know and that's where i'm just like okay you i think you have to evolve past this copycat offense and have the the uh, flexibility to play a little bit more of a pick and roll game play more of a mid-range game two things that d'lo excels at mm-hmm. um and that other players would play better you know like like tonight, for example, one of the intriguing things is Vando has had more opportunities at cutting to the basket and getting the ball there to score instead of having to just stand in the corner and you hope that he can hit a three, you know, like he did two games in a row, <laughs> like <laughs> um, Denver and Portland. And so, I, like, it's just I just don't I don't see any logic of forcing players into playing roles that they're not ever going to be successful at. And then saying, well, these guys have got to go because they can't play this role. It's like, well, the role should change. The system should change. Create a system that applies to the talent you have on the roster. That's what the good teams do. It's not like Steve Kerr said, I'm going to go out and get a Steph Curry, a Draymond Green, and a Clay Thompson. No, he had those guys. So he put a system that fit those guys. You know, Everybody else now is like, I need to go get a Steph Curry, a Clay, Clay Thompson, and a Draymond Green because none of them have the imagination to build a system around the guys that they have. And that's the problem i think with the league as a whole there's the coaching in the league there's only three or four really good coaches in the entire league i think and then there's a couple okay ones and a bunch of lousy ones and i think that's the biggest difference everybody is just kind of it's a cookie cutter like okay i want to do what they're doing i'm just going to copy that 
and I'm going to I'm going to elevate mediocre players, players that would not have started three years ago, and they're going to be in my starting lineup because they can hit 30% of their threes. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's just it's so bonkers to me that like we're going to play these guys that can shoot 30% from three and offer you literally nothing else over guys who like a, like a Vando. We're we're talking about getting rid of the best rebounder in the league, moving him to the bench. So that we can bring in a guy that can shoot threes better and probably get five rebounds a game. Like, what? Like it just, you know, I mean, like think of if the Bulls were doing that. Like, would they bench Rodman today? No, they're gonna, Bulls are going to play the Bulls. They're going to still run the triangle. They're going to. They're not going to change their style to play like play like Golden State just because Golden State might have won one of the years. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? If that makes sense, I just. That's the thing that drives me crazy about the league today and, and specifically with the Wolves. Like, and I, I think you're right. Finch has only had the time to put in one system on offense, one system on defense, and they're excelling at that. You know, he said it last year when he came in. He's like, I'm not going to change the playbook much. So he didn't do it at all last year. Yep. He added a couple wrinkles. And then this season, he's unveiled this, this new offense and new defense. And the offense isn't, to be honest, that different. It's kind of like a hybrid of what Ryan Saunders was running to me. I mean, it's just not, you know, that unique, but the defense is uh, completely different. And so it is, he probably spent the entire training camp just focused on that. And he can only add one thing at a time, one thing a year, you know, next year we'll probably have another wrinkle to the offense and another wrinkle to the defense that looked drastically different than, than this year. And you're right. Now you have two more tools in your pocket. Maybe now, maybe next year, those guys, Bomaro and, and Jaden and mm-hmm. you know, whoever also, and they have a bigger role in that style. But right now, you know, you're asking Jaden McDaniel, okay, go out there and fill the role of, you know, ant. Right. And <laughs> like, that's, you know, like you have to just play differently when those guys are on the floor, I think. Yeah. I mean, they do have to find ways to, to be more, to put those guys into a better position to succeed. I think if we're going to have the Jaden McDaniels conversation, we can close on this. We're almost to an hour, but. I think the conversation that we've had the whole time is not whether or not we want to keep Jaden McDaniels in a vacuum, because I think we do. I think the conversation is how much value does he provide in comparison on his, on this team versus in comparison in how much he could bring back in a trade. And I, we don't know the answer to that, which is the problem. I, I think we, we've discussed many times over the offseason of whether or not we'd include him in a Ben Simmons deal. And then there's a conversation about whether or not we'd include him in a Miles Turner trade. And of course, it comes down to what other assets you have to include in that deal. But I mean, we've come close at times to saying, like, I just don't want to include Jaden McDaniels in that deal because of how valuable he is and how good he can be. I've gotten to the point watching him this year. Where, yes, maybe it's the way they're u- that they're using him, but if they're not going to use him differently, if his role on this team is, if they're trying to put him in the, the Kawhi, you know, growth mode, where it's first you shoot threes, and then once you can hit threes, then you start adding this, and once you can do that, then you add this, you know, one step at a time, he's not, like, that's just not working for him. There's nothing currently working for him on offense, so... He's either going to need to step up to the point where he's providing Vando level value outside of that offense, or he's going to need to, or you're going to need to compare his value on the trade market versus his value to the team. And I don't think his value to the team has been what we wanted it to be so far. So if if his value in a deal, especially for a guy like Miles Turner, where now we're looking at, you know, a, 
big next to cat that can solve some of those issues against other teams where we do struggle against them. And you can still have Vando on the roster and you can, you know, have all the guys who are currently making an impact. Then you have to differentiate the the value between Jaden, having Jaden McDaniels around because we want to see him grow into what he can be or getting the best possible value for him right now. And I think one of the point I've made to you was, I've seen a lot of Rashad McCants, a lot of Shabazz, Shabazz Muhammad's, a lot of Derek Williams's, who we just waited for. And by the time we eventually cut bait and the, by the time they eventually moved on, they never became the player we hoped they would. So, yeah, but I, and I, like, I never liked those guys at any point their, their run here. I never thought any, so I don't compare them to those guys because I, like, those guys were always crummy from the get go to me. So I, that's part of the comparison I didn't like. But, but the other part is, is, that, that's kind of – I think that's the question for me is like, it, it, yeah, if this team can't figure out a way to use him in a way that's going to be better than him, then Finch isn't the right coach. And you know how high I am on Finch. Mm-hmm. That's not – like we're, we're going to take a, uh, you know, a coach over a talent like Jane. I'm not saying I wouldn't trade him. I wouldn't include him in a trade for Ben Simmons or Turner. It just depends what else I'm giving up. If I'm giving up for Turner – a Beasley, a Nas Reed, and a Jaden, that's too much for me. What is Turner going to do that? Because now you're trusting the, this coaching staff to use him in the right way. Well, now you have two bigs. The same thing that we had with Nas and, and Cat. Yeah, Turner's a much better defender. But on off, like defense isn't the problem. Right now it's offense. Yeah. So now we have another guy that's going to need the ball. You know, And, and how much is he going to help on the offensive side when you got Ant taking, you know, the shots that he takes a night, Cat takes his, you know, Dilo takes his. Um, that, I just, you need players that play a role other than offense on this team. And Jaden's one of the best on, like, I still think he's a better defender than Vando. I just do. I think Vando's a good rebounder. I don't think Vando's a particularly, I think he's a good defender. I don't think he's, like, I think Vando's a better defender against power forwards than Jaden is. Because he has the size to do so. I mean, yeah, currently maybe he is because just because of the size. But I think Jaden, I don't think the level of drop off between Vando at power forward and Jaden at power forward is as big as Jaden. Would uh, the difference between how good much better Jaden is at guard every other position mm-hmm. than Vando? You know what I mean? And no, so, I think Jaden's a really good defensive player. I think he provides value there. I think I don't know if we're having convers if we're having trade talks with a different team and. I have I have concerns with Turner and Simmons too, and I'm, the biggest one for each of them is that they've both publicly stated, either through directly through themselves or through their representatives or whatever it happens to be, that they want to go to a team where they are featured. And if we could get a Ben Simmons who's going to get the same usage rate that he's gotten in Philadelphia, and he'd be happy with that, or we could get a Miles Turner to come in and just be respected more, but still play the same role. I think that would be a great fit for both of those players. But I don't, the Timberwolves aren't going to be a team that's going to bring them in and say, now we're featuring you on our offense for either of those players. They need right. them to, fit, to also fit a role. So that's my biggest concern for both of them. But and, if and, and Ben Simmons is upset being the number two guy. You yeah. know, you know I, how much I like Simmons. Yeah. But he's upset being the number two guy in Philly. He's going to be the number four guy if you're not trading D'Lo. Right. So there are, there are challenges with both those players and bringing them yeah. in even in the fifth. But if we're, if we're having trade talks, whether that's for one of those two players or another big name player, I'm spending 90% of the time trying to negotiate the, the protections and the and the number of picks that we're including in that deal. And whether or not McDaniels is included as the young player, it's not breaking my heart. 
you know, anymore. And that's just kind of the point I've gotten to. It, you know, it used to be, you know, especially before the season when we were looking him at, at him as one of the big four, I got to the point where I was like, you know what, he's going to be our starting small forward. You know, we can't do, you know, we can't include him because we need him to be in there with this guy that we're bringing in or whatever it happens to be. Let's include some of the you know, the flotsam, the, the big contracts, the other guys who we don't value, but other teams might. And it's just kind of like, I want him to become that. I obviously want him to become that, but I've I've yeah, spent I, too much I, I time think, waiting for young players. It's a, so if there's yeah. value and they could have the opportunity to inc- to improve the team now, I'd take it. See, and I, it just depends on what that player is and how much I think they can improve the team. I, I think a Turner or a Simmons adds five wins to this team. I just don't – and that's now. I think Jaden McDaniels might add ten in two years. Sure. You know, yeah. So – that's right. And it's like you can't – how many $20 million plus guys can you have on the team before your bench is even worse than it is today? I mean, it's just – like there's all these other factors that go into it for me that I, – I, again, I'm not saying I wouldn't trade you. I think where, where we were exchanging the, the text or tweets or whatever we were was when you said Jaden was at this point like an Okogi-level asset or something. No, I and, said teams treated him like an, like an Okogi-level shooter. No, like on like, offense, he was like that is how much value he's providing to the offense. Yeah, but that specific one was something about like uh, how you were valuing him. I don't m- remember exactly. Um, probably I'll find it. But um, let's see. It was I'm about one more clinked wide open three from McDaniel's before being completely out on him. That's actually what it was. Yeah, and yeah. so that, and I think that I think even now you would even say that was just the reaction to the losing. At that moment, all of a sudden he looks a lot better when you win two in a row and he's, you know, having moments like he's, you know, to me, he's what Vando was last year when everybody was loving Vando. It's just a dip, like he, he just hit another three now, um, <laughs> right on cue. Um, but he, I, to, I just, I see so much potential in him that I don't see in some of our other young players. Like I think Nas is great, but I think Nas is what Nas is. This is Nas's, he's close to his peak now. Yeah. Um, which is great because he's the cheapest backup center in basketball and he's one of the better backup centers in basketball. So like, I like that combo when you have one of the most expensive centers in towns with one of the cheapest ones in Nas. So th- that just works for contract standpoints, but um, fit not as much. So I'd be more, more willing to include Nas in a trade. Than Jaden, for example, and if we're ranking guys, I would agree with that. I'm not. I never said like Jaden. I know. I know you didn't rank. I just yeah. I'm just kind of clarifying my stance on Jaden because I think because I sometimes I talk like overconfident about somebody. Not it's like it's like my belief on Sasquatch. Mm -hmm. Do I think Sasquatches are real? No, I'm like (laughs) fifty fifty. But anybody that listens to me thinks I'm 110 percent believe Bigfoot's real. That's the way I am on Jaden. Do I think Jaden's an a future all star? No, I'm, you know, probably 40, 60, but am I going to talk him up like I think he is? Yeah. hundred percent. You're going to be, so that, I just wanted to clarify that from that standpoint, I think, but uh, in terms of, I don't think, um, Jalen Noel has the potential of Jane McDaniels. I don't think, uh, Okogi has the potential of Jane McDaniels. I don't think Bomaro might, I, you know, and I know he hasn't wild people, but again, it's the system. He's a great fast break creator mm-hmm. i think he's a awful half court creator yeah you know and so i you know that's why in the g league he'll put up 28 points and you know have a great game and then he'll come and play in our system where he has to be a spot-up shooter surprise surprise it doesn't work 
that's why I hate the system. Like I, I don't like just saying, oh well, you have to, you have to be uh, Fred Hoiberg. That's what you have to be here. It doesn't matter if you have none of those skills. That's like we're looking for nine Fred Hoibergs, and like, if you can't be Fred Hoiberg, you can't play. Like the fact that oh, if Josh Okogi or Vando uh, more Vando's pretty much cemented himself now in playing time, but Josh Okogi now is the guy. If he's not hitting threes, he's just benched. Well, Okogi's got more to offer than three. Like it's just, I just don't think that the spacing it has to be dependent on sh- shooters. You know, I. Yep. So that's what frustrates me to no end. And so I guess when we're looking at all the young players, I would trade all the young players that we have on this roster before I trade Jaden. Oh, it's at an ant, obviously. But you're talking on the bench. I would trade all of them before I would trade Jaden because yes. of the ceiling I think he has. This is going to be another one of those scenarios where we yell at each other for 20 minutes and then realize we're saying we're standing in the exact same spot. Yeah, yeah, we're just looking I, at it from I, different I, perspectives. No, yeah. I know we agree. I largely agree. I, I think that the, when we were tweeting, it was you were doing what I was doing about the Bigfoot, believe in Bigfoot 100%. You were overcompensating on your frustration with Jaden by saying you were almost completely out on him, where now you're also agreeing that he would be the last young guy you would trade on the team. Like, those two things aren't the same, right? Like, I think we we can agree those two comments aren't the same. And so I I, I know we probably feel we're probably 99% in complete agreement on Jaden. I, I, I just, it is depending on the trade. Who are you going to get for him? Yep. I mean, you saw what Jaden could do in summer league. He's, he's cooking right now, by the way. Um, <laughs> and so, but you, we know that, that what he can do if he's just featured a little bit more. But you're, we're criticizing what he's not doing on three shots a game. Like, like he's taking, he gets three shots a game from a spot. He's not comfortable taking shots. So that's the shocker that he's not going to be adding value on offense. I mean, that's just not, um, you know, I, I just think that if the expectation is that he has to succeed in the, the, you know, the, that spot up shooter role and that's it, you know, and he's only got three shots to make him count. Yeah. He's not going to, he's probably going to underwhelm you you know, I just think you have to have more patience with him. I guess is the shortest way I can say it. Right. And I think the only thing that hits me historically and waiting on guys like that is that, like I said, I've wait, we've waited too long on everybody. But we've, all those other guys were starters. We sure. were waiting for them. They were getting given every opportunity. They were handed the keys. McCants, you're a starter day one. Let's see what you can do. Uh, Derek Williams, you're a starter, day one. Let's see what you can do. Who's the other one? Shabazz? Shabazz, you're a starter, day one. Let's see what you can do. They were playing 30-plus minutes a night and showing us nothing. Jaden's playing 10, 12 minutes a lot of nights. He's getting three shots, four shots a game. And from horrible spots in the horrible – I mean, he's he's getting the bailout shot with three seconds left on the shot clock from a corner three. See, and those aren't the threes I'm talking about. His three, well, what are any threes? Yeah. He's just not getting a lot of shots. I mean, you're picking apart how many shots a game. How many? I mean, I, I'm not even looking at the stats, but I know he doesn't get that many shots per game. Um, he's just his opportunities because he's playing so few minutes. You know, he gets the hook quick if he's not hitting the shots. So right. let's see. Jaden this year is playing 25 minutes per game. He's shooting about six and a half times at a 38 percent clip and 27 percent from three on three and a half. No, three threes a game. So yeah. he's getting more time than he did last year. He's getting more shots than he did last year. I think and his, shot, his shots just off, so his percentages are down. 
His defense is still stellar. Yeah. I think we agree there, right? He's I mean, well, let's, let's give him a few more games to make sure those fouls are in check. Well, the fouls are a problem. The fouls are our problem. So I, and it, I'm, and I'm it diminishes the it diminishes the value of his overall defense if he can't stop fouling guys. And I, he's doing well, better, so I'm not taking that away from him. But I will also say a lot of he he gets called for one or two fouls a night that aren't fouls because of his reputation. And I just young guys can't help that, particularly if you're a young guy in Minnesota, you're never getting the benefit of the call. Our our stars don't get the benefit of the call. Yeah, Tones gets called for one or two fouls a night that aren't fouls. I mean, it's just. It's the nature of the beast when you're not playing for one of the chosen teams. I mean, it's just, you know, that's the way the league is. And so I, it's like he falls are a problem for him. I don't, I think they're magnified by the fact if he, like if we traded Jaden McDaniels to the Lakers tomorrow, I guarantee you his falls would go down. <laughs> yeah. They just would. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, well, it's a fixed league standpoint. It's just refs are human. So they have, they have it in their head. Okay. I, I watched tape on this team last night. This guy picked a lot of falls. I'm going to watch him a lot more closely. You know, I mean, they're just and and he's guarding. Jaden's often guarding the best offensive player on the other team, who are superstars, who get all the calls anyway. You know, so it's it's just it's one of those uh, bad positions for him. He just has to grow through. You know, and once he does, he's going to change that impression. I think, and all of a sudden, he's going to be looked at like Bando now has kind of got the reputation around the league where like he's just this mm-hmm. dog out there. He's gonna, you know, he's tough. He's he doesn't get. I mean, he picks up very few falls for how physical he plays. And I don't think it's because he's, you know, less fall prone. I mean, he probably is a little less fall prone than Jaden, but it's not like it's a drastic difference. I think the biggest difference is it's like his reputation is different. And so um, he's also not chasing guys. He's not following, get, trying to no. stay in front of a, a the best ball handler on their team. He's, you know, kind of planted in a spot and just kind of roaming. Um, but anyway, so I, I you know, the the short of it is is I just I'm not I, the sense that you had that night was that you were ready to throw him in for a bag of potato chips. I was not. I'm still not ready to change my stance on him at all based on what I've seen this year. Even if he's his shooting numbers have been down, everything else has been what we saw last year. I mean, it's just you know, and he's. I think this year, even the shots he's gotten this year are in worse positions for his game than they were last year. Last year he had a little bit more. Um, advantageous shots he had he had more shots that were like putbacks kind of the shots that vando's getting right now yep you know well we'll close on that we've just gone over uh about an hour and 15 minutes here so chad it's it's always good to get back and talk wolves with you the wolves are up by 20 heading into the fourth quarter here against the lakers hopefully we don't jinx them enough when we hang up to uh to send this back into a spin cycle because uh they're they're kind of pounding la uh, anthony davis went off with injury a second time <laughs> in the Vinny third quarter See right. That? Yeah, he fell over and collapsed in the tunnel because of He's my least favorite player to watch in the league now. Oh, he God. went from one of my favorite players. There's to another league. episode co- yeah. like idea for least favorite players because it's it yeah. could get long watching him. But uh but yeah, let's let's bring it back. Let's do this more than every 2 weeks. Let's uh, try to bring it back this week. We'll we'll throw this up tomorrow morning. It'll be a Saturday episode for everybody who's getting out there driving to uh traveling basketball tournaments or figuring out a way to get the dog out for a walk, whatever happens to be, hopefully will we'll be the, the number one priority for you and nobody else puts out a Saturday episode. You're taking the dog out for a walk and I'm going to a basketball tournament. Absolutely. So- we love it. We'll hit both of us at least. That's two yeah. downloads. So thanks everybody for listening. Find me at Ruby Oops, R-U-B-I-O-O-P-S and uh, Chad underscore Cox on Twitter. And uh, shoot us any comments, any questions, and we'll try to get to them in the next episode. We love you guys. Uh, thank you for listening. Chad, have a wonderful week. Peace out, man. All right. Yeah.